forever. Dog. Just between us. Hey. Just between us. Hey. Hello. Raskin. I'm a writer, mental health advocate, and someone who talks out loud to herself even when she's alone. Hi, I'm Gabby Dunn. I'm a writer, bicon, bisexual icon, wink, and three-time NSYNC concert seer. Ooh. <laughs> Thought that would be a little relevant, slightly relevant. I almost started by saying that I'm a I'm a Backstreet Boy fan um, over NSYNC, but then I thought, let's not make it about them. No, of course not. Although that makes complete sense with our personalities. Please write in and uh, t- and just confirm that for me. Why? I just think that it makes sense with our person. You seem like a BSB girl and I seem like an NSYNC girl. I had an entire wall in my bedroom that was just photos of the Backstreet Boys. And yeah. then it got to a point where I didn't want that anymore, but I couldn't take <laughs> it down because it would peel the paint. And your parents are like, you have to live with what you've done. I guess. And then I got my sister's room when she went to college. That really helped because then I could just put up all my alien posters instead. Okay, that took a real (laughs) curveball. I mean, I saw NSYNC three times in concert. I also had the, you know that they did that video. It's going to be me with the marionettes. I guess so. Yeah, I had the marionettes. Whoa, not the real ones from the music video. I had them listed in order of how much I liked them. Like they had the individual <laughs> photo, like in an order of how much I liked them. And and Brian was first for me, actually. <gasps> but then I had a dream about Nick and right. Nick became my favorite. But then I couldn't again, I couldn't switch the order because of the paint. <laughs> <laughs> how good was this dream? It was pretty special. Wow. Okay, so I liked JC because he was the sexual one. But then um, I really liked Lance. And then when Lance ended up being gay, I was like, this makes sense. Did I ever tell you that I predicted that? No. I wrote in my journal. I'm going to find this journal and prove it to everyone. I wrote in my journal that Lance was gay when I was like in middle school. And then he actually was gay. And I said it as a good thing. I was like, I love this. I think he's going to be gay. This is going to be amazing. Not as a read. I said it like as a good thing. And then he was gay. And I think 12-year-old me deserves a medal. I don't know what she deserves, but... I don't know. I'll find something and ship it to you. Well, no, you'd have to (laughs) ship it to the past. You know what I mean? Me now, it's like... It's like, I didn't even predict my own gender and sexuality. So how good could I really have done? <laughs> this is just between us, the variety show filled with heartfelt advice, ridiculous games, and brutal honesty. We're talking about all of this, basically, because we are going to be talking to Tess Barker and Barbara Gray about Britney Spears conservatorship and her harrowing testimony and why this is a big issue other than just Britney, but why conservatorships are a big issue and a big problem. Obviously, Allison and I grew up in the time where is Christina, Brittany, Destiny's Child, Backstreet Boys, NSYNC, like all of that was so huge. I think like this, you know, has a special place in our heart also because of that, but also being a mental health issue and a human rights and women's rights, reproductive rights issue. So I'm very excited to get into that conversation and it's very timely. And I hope this gives people some idea of how to help out with this like thing that just seems so frustrating and awful. And also just a greater awareness of conservatorships in general. A hundred percent. That a lot of people 
are being stripped of their rights under the guise of helping them. 100%. <sighs> All right. It's time to answer a listener's question. Hit it! International question! International question! International question! Anonymous. Do you think that with that song, I could have opened for one of those acts? Definitely, yeah, for Christina, because then it just extra highlights how good of a singer she is. That's fair. (laughs) Okay, so Anonymous says, Dear Gabby and Allison, my partner and I are in college and have been together for nearly two years. They are the best thing that's ever happened to me, and I can't imagine my future without them. I am Indian and they are American. In my culture, girls are usually married between the ages of 25 and 28. I have started seriously thinking about our future. The last time I asked them about their future plans, they said they only wanted to get married after they turned 30. And since they are two years younger than me, this does not work for me. Do you have any advice on how to explain my point of view to them without making them feel pressured? I've been following both of you since your BuzzFeed days, and I love you guys. You inspired me to come out to my mom and start going to therapy. I'm really grateful to Gabby for being so open about their queerness, and it makes me feel less weird about my own. I love Allison and find her voice incredibly soothing. Oh, thank you for everything. I'm going to send that to the voiceover agency that didn't want me as a client. You pass on me, well, people think I'm soothing. Yeah, exactly. Allison for the blank meditation app, which we won't promote here, but. This is a tough one. Cultural issues within couples is always going to be tricky territory. I think that this is a two-pronged problem. One is that It's a cultural difference because I think in America, I will say in certain parts of America and in certain cultures of America, in white middle class to upper class culture, people are getting married later. Mm -hmm. And that is because of not having a lot of money, having student loan debt, lower wages, more options, dating apps. I mean, you could go on and on with the research about why that is. Also, homeownership being more unattainable, et cetera, et cetera. But this also has to do with a person's individual readiness to be married. So like, why is their thing that they have to be over 30? Is it, are they like my, one of my sister's friends was like, I just want to be done with med school before I get married or like, you know, had that sort of time frame. And so like, why do they want to wait until they're over 30? I also think like sometimes you say that like if you're 22, you go, I don't want to get married till I'm 30. And then you don't realize that 30 is like so far. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I don't even think these people are 22 yet. That's the other part of this. Right. You're very young. You're in college and your partner's two years younger than you. Right. Well, that that could be 22 and 20 or 23 and 21. It's so hard because I when I was younger, I hated when people talked down to me because of my age. I know, I know. And then here's the problem is that so many of them were right. Oh, they were always (laughs) right. (laughs) That's the problem. I had this boyfriend who was such a dick and he would always be like, he's 10 years older than me. He'd always be like, wait until you're my age. Wait until you're my age. I'd be like, fuck you, dude. Now I'm the age that he was when we were dating. And I'm like, that guy sucked, but he was 100% right about everything. (laughs) Because the issue is like, Things are going to change so much. So you're mm-hmm. you're worrying about this problem. Like if I would say if you were old, a little older. Right. And you knew that you had completely different plans 
like right, timelines, right, right. then that's a problem. And if you can't come to an agreement on a timeline, then you need to go your separate ways. But when you're this young, it's sort of like there are so many variables and just the possibility of even staying together anyway. Another is, three years, another, like, you know what it's, I mean? It's tough. Mm-hmm. But I also think that you want your partner to understand where you're coming from in general on things, right? So yes. I I mean, what does it look like just to ha- to almost say what you just said to us, <laughs> you know? Right. Right. Like it doesn't need to be this huge sit down, drawn out, long mm-hmm. thing. I think you can just say like and maybe it does need to be that. I don't know. Like maybe it does need to be this longer conversation, but I think it is like completely valid and probably really important to be like can I explain to you where I'm coming from when I think about our future and when I talk about our future? Right. Or can I explain to you about my culture? Like, yeah, can I, cause not where you're coming from in general. So communication, like being able to hear each other out and being able to compromise huge. And also being able to understand that, like, even if you can't fully understand that other person's experience, you take it in as like fact and reality and like, and like a part of the relationship, like, I, you know, for Mal is a trans masculine person. I, you know, am more towards like non-binary. We're non-binary in different ways. And so I'm never going to like fully understand Mal's experience. And if they tell me stuff or talk to me about it, like, and they're worried about certain things, you know, maybe they're worried about stereotypes or maybe they're worried about like the way they're treated in bathrooms or whatever. Like I can't be inconvenienced by that. Like I have to be able to be like, okay, I understand where you're coming from. It's completely different. And maybe it changes the way that I do things or it changes the way that like, I need to put a timeline on my life, but like I've chosen to be with you. So like this person has chosen to be with you. You know what I mean? Like they're not going to be able to divorce you from your Indian culture. That is one thing. But I think a lot of people do do that. I know. And you shouldn't. There's this idea of like, oh, but you're in America, (laughs) you know? Exactly. And so I think it like so many times when we share something with our partners, all that we care about is how our partners receive it because we are so afraid of being rejected. Right, right, right. But I think we have to take a lot of the power back and be like, I am also, this is also an opportunity for me to appraise you, my partner, and to see how you, my partner, respond to this information. And then mm-hmm. I get to decide if I like your response. Like it's yes. not it's not all one way with the power. Like these big conversations, even though you're the one being vulnerable and you're the one sharing your background and your culture, you very much get to be an active participant. And if whether or not you like their response, you know, like you said, we're in America. And I think sometimes people do just, they think they're being progressive or they're being like great by being like, well, I just see you as a person or like, I don't see it right. Or like, I don't see, and like you and your culture are one. Clearly it is very important to you. It's irrelevant that we're in America. It's irrelevant that like this person is just like, well, you're an individual. And it's like, right. But individuals are made up of increments of background, culture, what's important to them, values, family, parents, you know, siblings, friends, like all kinds of stuff. And so like, if this person doesn't see you as like a complete human being with all these different things than what they've experienced, just because you're both in the same country, like, Allison's right. You get to respond to that and you get to think, does this, is this the right person for me? And another big thing to look out for is like, do they understand your values? So like, 
Mm. If their reaction is like, well, but if this is us, this is me and you, like we get to make our own rules. Like who cares what your family thinks? <laughs> like if you're dealing with somebody who, who yeah. does like a who cares what your family thinks when you come from a culture where you do, where you do care what your family thinks and you can't just be like, fuck off mom and dad. And like, mm-hmm, you know, like mm-hmm. that's not how you were raised. That's not how you act. That's not how your family operates. Like you need to be with somebody who understands that and who understands that like, familial expectations don't mean that like you're not an individual and like this American version of it. It just means that this is the type of culture that you are from and you consider your family's feelings. Also, Americans love to say that or portray other cultures that way. And then like how many like families do we have that are just like, if you don't play football, you're dead to me. Like we have so like we act like we are so above or whatever. And then like, it's, you know, it's like, there's exactly the same sort of familial, whatever. Yeah. I mean, you have, they have to understand your greater context. Yeah. But I mean, it's tough, like, because it's one of those things where I think what's more important than like getting a definitive answer on this marriage number right Right, now is like, how do they respond when you give them this information? Right. Like you're never going to get, I think like you guys are really young. You're not, even if someone says, I'll marry you at 26, who knows if that's true? That's a cold comfort. You're never going to know if they're, if they might mean it at the moment, not mean it later. There's no guarantees. You can't go about life with guarantees like that. But you're right. Allison's right. You can see how they respond to you saying, I need you to be open to my culture. And if they say, I'm sorry, but it's 30 or nothing for me, deal with it. Right. Like, you just don't want to be with somebody that's that rigid to begin with, you know? Like, if you're, even though you're young, if you're building this life partnership with somebody, a big part of building Mm -hmm. a partnership is taking into consideration this other person. Right. And so if if your partner's idea of life is just, I'm going to go about my life and do my life the way exactly I want to do it, and then my partner will just happen happen to want all the exact same (laughs) things as me, you know, that's unrealistic. And that's that's not a partnership. That's steamrolling. And maybe then the, the compromise down the road later, long compromise is... 28 and a half. You know what I mean? Like everyone needs to, everyone needs to give and take. You can't predict any of that now. Who knows? Right now, the information that you can gather is how they respond to this conversation. Right, right, right. Is, is if, and if their reaction could very well be, oh, well, I don't want that in my life. And then they might end up ending the relationship. Mm -hmm. And that would be terrible, but would also mean that you were in the wrong relationship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and look, I've been there. <laughs> you know, like somebody Whoa. can be really great in the moment and it can feel like you can't imagine your life without them. But 100% you can have a life without them. Yes. And 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 I but I'm rooting for you guys. Yeah. I hope I hope that everything like shakes out and you just have this fear for no reason. And that they're like, oh, my God, I I'm sorry that you took that is so rigid. Like I, you know. Mm -hmm. And then you guys get and then you guys invite us to your wedding in seven years. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And also, you know, 
this is great experience talking about this stuff mm-hmm. because whether or not you end up with this person, you're going to have to keep having these kinds of conversations, especially if you date people that aren't from your background and culture. Mm-hmm. And so just learning how to have these conversations, having a bit of experience with these conversations, that's all like important tools. Please follow up and let us know how this goes. <laughs> oh my God, if this relationships ends, we're going to get some hate mail. Um <laughs> If you want to submit your international question, you can send it to justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. That's justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. Stick around after the break. We've got a juicy interview with our highly esteemed guests, Tess Barker and Barbara Gray. And later we'll be talking all about active listening. Just between us. Welcome back to Just Between Us. It's time for the juiciest, most scandalous, controversial segment known to all of podcasting. Tough questions. This week on the show, our guests are Tess Barker and Barbara Gray. Tess and Barbara started the Britney's Graham podcast in 2017 and have been talking about Britney Spears' conservatorship in recent years, focusing on how the media treats celebrities, mental health care, and conservatorships. They also have a new podcast called Toxic, based kind of on the same topic. Thank you for being here. This is, uh, I'm sure, a very timely situation for you guys. So let's start at the beginning because we finally heard from Britney herself, but let's start at the beginning of like, noticing something was wrong. Yeah, well, this is Babs. You know, we started doing comedy together over a decade ago, me and Tess, and um, we have, you know, done podcasts together before. And so we just really admired Britney's Instagram as fans of hers because it was like a really fun, interesting place. And it was just kind of a fun topic of discussion between us, basically. And so, yeah, we started that podcast literally as a comedy podcast just to like be like, what's Britney doing this week? The conservatorship was always something kind of there because we knew it existed, but we just didn't know a ton about it. We didn't know a ton about the conservatorships. I think part of what maybe perhaps unknowingly to us at the time drew us to Britney's Instagram account was like, there was always something going on there. Like There was always a there there. And I think we were just like wondering what was going on there because it was something sort of fascinating about it. And like, you know, she used to do these fashion shows all the time where she would like play a song and change into like three different dresses and they were very fun and very Britney. But it was always like, where is everyone else? Mm-hmm. You know, like she always seemed like so lonely. So I think that was a, the lens that we were sort of looking at her Instagram through. Yeah, just knowing about the conservatorship, she would post things like, you know, there was one thing where she posted like a window into the Mediterranean Sea with a caption that just said, there's always a way out. Right. And it would just give us pause. Like, is, are, you know, in, is this someone who's trying to like use this Instagram to speak out to people? Mm-hmm. Because even before we knew what was going on with the conservatorship, we knew that this was someone who was really restricted in her media appearances and who didn't really ever se- seem to give, you know, really genuine interviews and things like that. So we sort of always had that in the back of mind. And then I was doing show notes for like one of her shows and I stumbled across something that her co-conservator, one of the guys who was in charge of all her money, was petitioning the court for like this giant raise. And as part of the reason he was giving for this raise was that Brittany was so productive and doing so well in work and her career was going well. And he referred to the whole conservatorship as a hybrid business model. (gasps) And so that set off like a bunch of red flags to me because I was like, well, if she's doing so well, why is she in a conservatorship? Why do you right. think you... And, you know, I don't think it's you, sir, who's out there waxing your pussy and doing crunches every night. I mean, Brittany. <laughs> right. <laughs> that was Brittany's accomplishment. And so um, it kind of felt right off the bat that we had stumbled into something kind of wonky and I just felt really compelled to go to that hearing. So I 
just went to that hearing and that sort of kicked off us really looking at the conservatorship in like a really serious way. Can you explain what a conservatorship is in general and then also like the terms of hers? Basically, a conservatorship is when someone steps in to take over someone, someone who, you know, it's in the law, it says that they're not able to feed, clothe or shelter themselves. So they assign someone to take over for those things, you know, to take them to medical appointments or to take over their finances, things like that. So that's basically what it's for. Generally, they are for people who are, you know, very infirmed. They have um, a disability of some kind that doesn't allow them to do those things, or they might be advanced in age and have dementia, something like that. So that's the situation it's supposed to be reserved for uh Usually. And then what are the terms of, of hers? Because I, I was doing a bunch of research myself and usually there's like a mental health conservatorship, which one would think that Brittany would be under based on, a, you know, a breaking points that she's had in the past, which are all in retrospect, completely understandable. But that's not actually what she's under. What is she mm-hmm. actually under? That's correct. Yeah, she's under what's called a probate conservatorship, which... So probate court, this is dark, but probate court is where you go when someone dies and you've got to figure out what to do with their estate. And so in the California court system, that same court system also handles people who are oftentimes toward the end of life. It's a very weird kind of like bundle of things that happens in that court. But that is the court where Britney, hearing, where Britney Spears' conservatorship is under. It's not in a mental health conservatorship. And in a mental health conservatorship, it's a doctor who initiates that conservatorship. So the doctor decides this person is, you know, for whatever reason, they're, in my opinion, they're gravely ill and need to be conserved. But a mental health conservatorship gets renewed every year. And the goal is always to kind of get that person out of conservatorship because from a healthcare perspective, they want the person to be as autonomous as possible. But the probate conservatorship, that's not the process. It doesn't get renewed every year. It's just sort of put in place. And then unless something drastic happens to reverse it, it just stays in place. How did she get put in this in the first place? In the probate or just in it in general? I mean, I guess in, in general. In general. That's something we we go really um deep into that on on our new podcast, Toxic. We we go into that weekend that everything happened because, you know, a lot of people might remember the footage of like her getting, you know, her being taken from her home and the 5150 taken to the hospital. So basically what happened is... There was a 5150 called on her um, that evening from what we can have observed. You know, she wasn't doing anything to get it called in. So we're not really sure why it got called in. It had been planned, you know, seemingly. So they took her to the hospital. And that's when her dad, Jamie, used the opportunity to get a conservatorship um, at that point. You know, it appears that it was done to kind of get rid of Sam Lutfi, who was hanging out with her a a bunch of this time. He'd kind of like stepped in and was a huge role in her life and the parents weren't anymore. So it seems like this was kind of the 5150 created this opening for them to get this conservatorship. And then, yeah, that's kind of where it all started. But by the time she was released from the hospital, it had already happened. So the whole process went down. I mean, it's upsetting to think about or talk about. The whole process went down while she was restrained in the hospital. So she had no say in it. She had no, no. ability to contest it. There was nothing. I, I think, are you, the night you're referring to, again, I've done a lot of research. I'm sure you all have too. And I wanted, I'm speaking to experts. So I was like, I got to do research. It was the, it was a night where she didn't want to let her son go with Kevin Federline. So she just went into the bathroom with the kid. And everyone was like, this is a disaster when they could have just opened the door. Yeah. And so that's the thing that I think gets lost in a lot of this is the custody battle that was leading up to that first. So she was 
uh, involuntarily restrained, involuntarily detained, sorry, twice in January. So that custody incident was the first one. And yeah, for the New Yorker piece that just came out, uh, said that it was Kevin Federline's divorce attorney mm-hmm. who called the cops who showed up to Brittany's house that night exactly. about first 5150. And normally when you get 5150, you're uh, restrained for 72 hours. That's just the standard. They released her early from that hold because the doctor determined that she wasn't a threat to herself. So this has brought up an issue where now people are actually talking about conservatorships in a way that is like more serious, because like you said, you're like, this is upsetting to think about. It's terrifying. It's really upsetting to think about, especially to someone who like we all grew up sort of idolizing and loving that this could happen to someone with so much money and power. Have you seen a lot more conversation about conservatorships for like the average person now too, sort of getting contested? Definitely. I mean, that's what we're hoping, you know, Brittany's case brings light to because generally, yeah, this situation affects the people more invisible to our society, you know, the elderly and the disabled. So. Um, We are hoping that we kind of help to, you know, zoom in on the entire probate, entire conservatorship issue, because, yeah, a lot of people don't have, you know, maybe the fans, obviously the fans that Britney has to, you know, bring this to light for them. And so we have just found that this is actually a huge problem. There's a lot of conservatorship abuse happening all over the country. And oftentimes those people don't have any voice or don't have any resources. And so recently we finally saw Britney speak out in court and like lay out like the details of what she's been through. You know, she no longer, she stopped denying that she was okay. She gave some really harrowing information about what's been going on in her life. And then the court decided to uphold the conservatorship. (laughs) What are your thoughts on that? Did you see that coming? Yes, actually. So it's funny that you said that because that was sort of the thought that I had. Um, I think from all of our point of view, we're like, what? Can't the judge, aren't we all seeing the same thing? This is like abject abuse, right? If we can look at what's going on with Brittany and see how clearly she's articulated, what I think a lot of us see is really clear-cut abuse and think that nothing is happening, we can, I think, begin to imagine how often this is happening to people who are not famous and have no resources and have nobody in their corner because it's a very um, bureaucratic system. Mm -hmm. And it's all of the people that are involved in this kind of conservatorship world, not all of them, I should say, but most of them stand to make a lot of money from keeping people in these situations. And there's no one really in the system that's actually there to make sure everything's okay. So it becomes this catch-22 that once you get in one, as much as the outside world can say, oh my gosh, how is this still happening? Due to the legal mechanisms, you you really become like handcuffed. Why do you think that judge upheld it? Because her attorney didn't bring forth a petition to terminate. So the judge can only consider what's in front of her. And I was in the courtroom and I saw the judge was emotionally taken back by what Brittany said. But I think it's also worth noting that Brittany said those seemingly same exact things two years ago and nothing happened. I I, yeah, I think that kind of what we're seeing and, you know, a lot of things are happening this week. Her attorney has just filed to leave. There's a big fight between her dad and the, you know, the conservative person right now. There's a lot of uh, blame game going on. And what it seems like is that no one wants to take responsibility because they've just been called out. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I think that the judge isn't doing it because then she'd have to be kind of like looked at as the one who made this choice happen. And if something goes wrong, it's her fault, you know? Yeah. So I think that that's everyone's trying to like save their own ass, basically. But something's already going wrong and you could fix it. Why didn't the lawyer? So what did the lawyer present then? Nothing. It was Jack shit. so upsetting. <laughs> so Brittany said multiple times in no uncertain terms 
I want this conservatorship to end and I don't want any kind of an examination. I want it to end right now. And then they went to recess. And oh, she said, I want this conservatorship to end and I want a, a new attorney. She was very clear about that. They went to recess. They came back and her attorney told the judge, Your Honor, um, in, in, in light of the importance of attorney-client privilege, I think we should discuss the, the possibility of Brittany getting a new attorney and filing a petition to terminate privately. So he kind of was able to sweep it under the rug and nothing happened. But now he's resigning. So is there a hope that she'll get another lawyer? Like, does she get to pick a lawyer or is she just being assigned these lawyers? This has been one of the ongoing frustrations with um, this whole case is, you know, the weekend she was conserved, there was another lawyer trying to help her who she wanted. They wouldn't allow her to hire him. They said she doesn't have the capacity to choose her own lawyer. Now, part of the person who made that decision was the guy who got hired. So, wow, that guy said she doesn't have the capacity to get hired. Looks like it's me, you know, and for 13 years, she's never been able to hire her own lawyer. So we don't know what happens now as far as if they're going to say that again or if they are going to actually let her choose one. Yeah. And it it does look like so her mom recently finally did take a very active role in what's going on and filed something asking for Brittany to be able to choose her own attorney. And from what I understand, that'll be heard at this hearing on July 14th. So it seems like her mom is making moves to try to help her get the ability to hire her own private attorney, which would be huge because it's Britney Spears. Like she should have the best attorney in the world. Yeah. Her dad gets to use very, you know, high powered, high paid attorneys with Britney's money to help to fight to keep Britney in the situation and keep him on board. I mean, it's just mind blowing. You were talking about people benefiting financially from conservatorships. So who is that? Like, is it parents? Is it people who are hired to be in charge of the conservatorship? How does that work? Yeah, all of the above. I think her attorney is a great example of that sort of conflict of interest. We know that he makes about $10,000 a week. So there's a clear conflict of interest there because why would he file a petition to end that gravy train? Oh my train? God. Brittany has a professional, so it's a little bit complicated. She's got a conservatorship of her person and one of her estate. It's kind of like a two-pronged thing. The one of her person is a what's called a professional guardian, and she takes in a fee. The guardian does. The guardian does, yeah. Oh, my God. So there's, uh, yeah, the way the people are making money is basically everyone, you know, every lawyer in that courtroom, every time they go to court, gets money and gets paid from Britney Spears. She made a, a bunch of money. I mean, she was touring. She was doing the Vegas show. She released four albums while she's been under this conservatorship. She doesn't get to see any of that money. And it's kind of this this double-edged sword you're talking about where it's like, okay, so she's incapacitated enough to need a conservator. But then she can also work at this level, at this high capacity level. So like, which is it exactly? And I can't imagine I can imagine how many other people that that's happening for on a smaller scale. It's just horrendous. I mean, what were some of the details that she she talked about in her testimony? She said that she has an IUD that she would like to get out and they won't allow her to go to the doctor to take it out. Um, you know, she wants children and oh, I'm going to cry. That's just so no, it's horrible. Um, it's like <laughs> it's like a human rights and like reproductive rights issue. Yeah. Like there was so much stuff brought up that was so awful. Yeah, I think that was definitely one that, you know, a lot of stuff she said, unfortunately, we, we kind of knew because we've just been paying attention for so long. But I think that was that was a new one. Um, and that was pretty upsetting. And she also talked about um, feeling like she was forced to go on a world tour and forced to work. 
I think it's just particularly disturbing when you think about the fact that not only was she forced to perform labor, but then is not given access to the money that's earned by said labor. Mm-hmm. You know, and she compared the situation to something akin to sex trafficking. Mm-hmm. You know, we both seen Britney perform live. And obviously, when you go see your favorite artist, you know, not every penny that you spend is going towards them. Duh, there's a lot of people who have to make that happen. But you do think, oh, look, I'm supporting my this person, you right, know, and right. it's just I think that's why your fans are so upset. They they feel like they've been conned. Um, yeah, I saw the Vegas show and I'm like, uh, how I just gave money straight to the abusers. Like, it's really horrible to think about. Yeah. Exactly. You know, what's a crazy detail. Her judge, the one who put this thing in place, went to one of her Vegas shows. The judge who said that she didn't have capacity to hire a lawyer went and sat in the VIP section at her performance once. Like, And so her dad, by being the head of this, gets to be in charge of all of her money. Oh, I mean, what what is his motivation here? Is it as uh, evil as it seems? (laughs) First of all, yes, he makes quite a bit of money. We know that. For his fee for being conservator of, of her estate is around $18,000 a month. Wow. And then additionally, while she was in the Vegas residency and on the Femme Fatale tour, she, he took in like a managerial commission off of those profits, the box office and the merch and everything. But also, I just I, I do feel like from what we know about Jamie Spears background and the behavior that we've heard described, it does seem like the same way of like a lot of abuse occurs. It really is just about power. I mean, yeah, it's really disturbing because... She wasn't even speaking to her father when it all happened. Mm -hmm. So this guy showed up, a man she doesn't want to speak to, and he all of a sudden had control over her entire life in a span of a few days. How is it legal to suddenly give the rights of your life as an adult back to your parents? I don't know. I mean, conservatorships, you know, they all are often a family thing that someone goes in and gets for someone because they want to be able to make decisions for them that they feel like the person isn't able to make. So it's just part of the, yeah, the legal system. They went in there and they saw, I guess, felt like they could prove that she needed to be in it. I also feel like a lot of this, it's kind of important to contextualize like what time it was. Like in 2007, you really can't even overstate how much Britney Spears was in the media and what a prevalent story that was. I mean, it was a story that was talked about not just on like entertainment shows, but that was like the evening news in LA. Like what is Britney Spears doing tonight? Mm-hmm. So I think that there are a lot of people, there are cops and doctors and judges and people like that who were involved in this situation that were coming from an entire like kind of environment that was just really infused with this narrative about Britney Spears being this out of control train wreck. When in fact, we know now with some context, she was just like a young mom going through a really shitty divorce and being followed around by a hundred men with cameras everywhere she went. You know, Twitter didn't pop up until 2009. Uh, And so like, I think a lot of this was happening where like women didn't have the power to say anything or fight the narratives. Female fans didn't really have a lot of power to rally together or to talk to each other. There wasn't the ability to counteract whatever sort of tabloid narrative was going on. Like the paparazzi had so much power. I think sometimes there's a shame because we don't want to Think about it, because how much did we contribute to this? Like, just as a society, like talking about contextualizing that time. I mean, what were we talking about when we talked about like young women celebrities at the time? 
Yeah, I mean, I think it was, uh, you know, I'm grossed out by my complicity in it because, I mean, I was young myself and I don't think I knew what was, you know, I was doing, but I just accepted, I think, what I was being told, which was just like, Mm -hmm. oh, look at these out of control people. Oh, look, someone's not wearing their underwear. You know, you think about, you blame it on her. You don't think about the 20 men who were sticking a camera there. You Mm -hmm. think about the person. So I think it's just that we all just kind of took what they were saying to us. I mean, not everyone. There are a lot, you know, talking to a lot of people. And I think Tessa is one of these people who like could see like this was fucked up and what she was going through. But I think unfortunately, a lot of the rest of us just kind of like took like, oh, okay, I guess she's like, she's crazy. She shaved her head. Oh, something, you know, when Mm -hmm. you look at it now and you're like, yeah, everyone shaves their head. What? Why is that such a big deal? (laughs) And a lot of it feels like a tale as old as time, right? Like a lot of it just feels like the good old fashioned misogyny. Like how this narrative of women being hysterical or women needing a man to come in and set their life straight. Yeah. What is it like for you two to to work on this story, to research it? I mean, I imagine the process must be incredibly frustrating. Yeah, it's every emotion, you know, you could think of because like we've been doing this for years. And um, I think for a long time, it was really emotional because we felt just very gaslit, mm-hmm. you know, like everyone was kind of saying it's a conspiracy theory. It's not real. And, you know, you kind of feel like you turn that on yourself and then you want, you're like, oh my God, are we doing the right thing? You know, we question that a lot because we just, we wanted to be doing the right thing. And I think her coming forward obviously validated so much of that. And that was like a turn, but that was a lot of the emotion of it for sure. I mean, it's just a lot of darkness too. It's Mm -hmm. not, you know, we are comics. We came to this from a place of comedy Mm -hmm. and then it's like, oh God, we're like in this, hurricane of just like dark abuse and everything so it's it's very emotional and going to protests and active doing activism (laughs) and like all this learning about conservatorships and like all of a sudden it becomes this very serious thing which i kind of goes back to what i was saying about like you know oh it's all fun and paparazzi and tabloid until we take the young female celebrity chew them up spit them out and then like don't care about their mental health or don't care like you know, I think the conversation right now, too, around mental health is so different. I don't know if you guys have seen that in your research. Yeah, I would say it definitely is different for newer stars. But I feel like what happened to Brittany was is so seared into everyone's collective conscious that people I think a lot of people continue the old narrative that they have around Britney Spears, which is that there must have been something just fundamentally wrong with her. Yeah, I think she was like kind of the sacrificial lamb in some ways. She just became that person that was piled on. And I think it is like Tess said, it's kind of like those images are just see, you know, the image with the umbrella, like those, those like singular moments are very kind of still in there. And I think part of what frustrates me about that is like, how often have we seen some piece of shit abuser man complain about getting canceled? And then six months later, he's back playing football or on stage or writing fucking articles, you know, like why, why, why does Britney Spears have to wear this scarlet letter? It's interesting too the looking back on stuff like Paris Hilton and the way that she's come around to talk about her abuse at Provo Canyon and how her voice was an act and like relaunched all this stuff. And then, you know, I think that's been interesting. And then we see sort of, I think people still disparage Lindsay Lohan, just talking about that sort of holy trinity at the time. But then there's still a disparaging of Lindsay Lohan. And like now I feel like people... There's these narratives from, you know, 15 years ago that are so strong that like I see Paris working really hard to like counteract, but it's just an uphill battle. You're right. Like a new 
You come for Ariana Grande and everybody is like fighting you. You come for Lindsay Lohan, everyone will join in. A thousand Mm -hmm. percent. Exactly. Do you feel any hope moving forward with her conservatorship? I do, especially with everything that's happened over the last couple of weeks. It does seem like all of a sudden there's this big seismic shift happening. I think it's going to get uglier before it gets better. And I think, unfortunately, she is in for probably a bit of a legal battle. But the fact that her mom has stepped up and and seems to be really working to help her. And there is at this point just so much public pressure on this case that I I guess the optimist in me is like, they got to see that like this can't go on. Yeah, I mean, whatever lawyer comes in next, whether it's assigned or not, I mean, I just can't see how anyone could step in and not you know, advocate for her like they should be doing and everything. So I think that, um, yeah, unfortunately, it probably is not going to be as fast as everyone wants it to be. It's going to be drawn out because, like we said, everything now is about everyone covering their own asses. So it's going to be a big fight between all these lawyers. He said, she said, shit, you know, so we'll see. But hopefully she can just get some really good representation and support from her mom's side of things. Do you think that there'll be any movement to change the laws around conservatorship? Or is that too big of an ask for this country? (laughs) Um, Yeah, there has been movement, actually. You know, I I know that there was some bill that was like about to be passed about conservatives being able to choose their own lawyers. And then it seems like that's being batted around. I'm not sure. I don't think it's gone through, but there is definitely like larger conversations happening. So hopefully, yeah, that is that will be something that happens. And that's what I love about the Free Britney movement, too, is that these folks are like very passionate and they are not just passionate about Britney's case. Now they are moving on to like conservatorships in general. And like people we talk to all the time, we're like, what will you do if she gets out? And they're like, well, I'm just going to keep going. You know, like now that I've seen this issue, I can't turn my eyes away. So I do think that it will create some change. It's changed a lot of people's trajectories from commenting on it to going to the hearings, to being out there with signs, to talking to the media. Like you're right. The public pressure is so huge. And like, you know, it's changed you guys even from what like you do on a daily <laughs> yeah. basis and what you Definitely. like. You're, I mean, what are the average people doing? Is it the same sort of you see everyone out there protesting? Like what what is going on besides the podcast, you know, that, that you guys do and that the average person could do? Yeah. So we, you know, we're mostly working on basically just making the podcast so that everyone can have like a central place to get all the information because it is such a confusing story and all that stuff. So that's kind of like what we're, you know, using our role to do. And if you look, there's so many like awesome Free Britney, you know, online media accounts. If you go to freebritney.army, they're incredible. Basically, they run all the rallies. They tell people how to set up rallies in their city. And they're just really out here giving the information because right now stuff's happening every single day. So they're letting everyone know what's happening every day and kind of just like how you can how we can keep it in the public conversation. Wow. Well, I don't know if you guys saw your lives going this direction, but we're very thankful <laughs> that you followed it. <laughs> no, I, know, I always think about that. Something will happen. And we'll be like, God, if you can you imagine telling your 15 year old self that like no. this is what <laughs> it's just so wild. When I was like buying my oops, I did it again. CD. If I could be like, yeah, and then up. one day you'll be fu- going to court trying to make sure that this person has basic human rights. It's yeah. horrible. It's just, yeah, it's so it's so crazy. Yeah, it's horrible. Well, I never thought that my life would be me um, forcing you guys to play a game show, but it turns out that's what my life has become. (laughs) Yeah, we have to take a a little journey into a lighter subject. (laughs) Sounds good. 
<laughs> this game is called Hypotheticals. You and Gabby are my contestants. I'm going to give you a series of hypothetical situations. You can ask any clarifying questions you have. And then you tell me what you would do in that situation. And then I very arbitrarily and unfairly, much like the justice system, decide who the winner is. Oh, wow. You're the Wonderful. judge from Britney's case, I guess. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay. So our first game is America's favorite game show. Would you stay with this cheater? You find out that your partner of eight years accidentally had sex with your identical twin. They realized halfway through that it was actually your twin, but they thought it would be rude to stop in the middle because your twin is very sensitive. Would you stay with this cheater? <laughs> oh, boy. I'm leaning towards yes, just because... I, you, you know, you can't, I, I mean, I do think it, even if you have an identical twin, I feel like it's weird that they wouldn't know it's not you. There's got to mm. be some identifying marker that they know it's not you. But also I'm like kind of open. So I, I'm okay. I think it's fine. Why did my twin do this? They hate you. <laughs> oh. oh yeah that's a good I forgot about that relationship <laughs> yeah did that I was gonna say yes I'm gonna give them like it's an honest mistake pass but if my twin hates me then my partner would know that and then if they continued to sleep with someone that hates me because they didn't want to hurt their feelings then I think I would break up with that cheater right right nobody knew that your twin hated you this is uh, the beginning of a long con for oh. them to sabotage your life. <laughs> this sounds wow. like a very lifetime movie situation. Right. Should, we, should we write that together, you guys? <laughs> <laughs> and then the twin gets pregnant, but then they have your DNA. So is that baby oh. also kind of your baby? <gasps> then you steal the baby. <laughs> the movie's called Your Baby's Kind of My Baby, a lifetime movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll let him have a pass, I think. I just, it's too much energy to break up, you know? Yeah. Plus, Eight I'm going to need I'm going to need someone to have my back when my twin and I have our knife fight. I don't know how this mm -hmm. ends. Very true. Mm -hmm. It ends with your partner leaving you for your twin. I'm really sorry. Oh, oh no. I'm sorry. Oh, but in, in their defense, your other tw your twin is more fun to be around. Oh, oh my God. God. Not if they're sensitive. This is not the dream. <laughs> not if they're sensitive. <laughs> well, well, there's nothing wrong with being sensitive, Gabby. Okay. Our next game. Is this a date? Mm. I've played this game before. <laughs> <laughs> we all have. <laughs> you are the only person in a movie theater. One other person walks in and asks if the seat right next to you is taken. You say no and they sit down. Is this a date? Who is this person? It is Mark Anthony. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I was going to say, how how attracted am I to them? That will make... You really had Mark Anthony ready to go. <laughs> I don't yeah. know why. I don't know why. But he's, in the, say... he's in In the Heights. He's in In the Heights. Oh. I haven't seen it. Yeah. That the rules of this game, it's not whether or not you think it's a date. It's if the other person thinks it's a date. Mm. Oh, then yes. No, no question. They think it's a date. I they definitely think it's a date. And like, honestly, I <laughs> think that probably I think it's a date, too, because there's absolutely no other reason I would let a stranger sit next to me in a in like an open space. That's I would true. leave. I what would, would you have said? You would leave? I would move. Or I would leave. move, I would, too. <laughs> I would move. I did have a guy once. I was the only person in a theater 
And he sat, where do you think the worst place is that he could have sat? Behind you. Right, 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 right behind, behind you. you. He sat right behind me. No, no behind is scarier because no. it's like, what is he doing? I, he yeah. sat right. And I was like, why would you do that in a million years? I'm so To cut I'm your so ponytail off, Babs. <laughs> to cut your ponytail off. <laughs> and keep well, it so he can have a souvenir. <laughs> I think Mark Anthony is upset because J-Lo's together with Ben Affleck now. And so he's probably sad and he thinks this is a date. Mm. No, he doesn't think it's a date. He just wanted to share your popcorn. How is that not a date? That's a date. You don't share popcorns with friends? Um, But then it's a friend date. It's just a stranger. Yeah, mm. it's not a... Well, it's wow. not really a stranger. I mean, it's Mark Anthony. We all know <laughs> who he is. <laughs> Everyone's friend. America's friend. <laughs> <laughs> okay, our final game is called Are You a Terrible Parent? Your youngest child... Eight okay. keeps annoying your older child, 12. To help them understand how annoying they are being, you borrow your friend's four-year-old and instruct the four-year-old to annoy the eight-year-old all day so they will learn to leave their older sibling alone. Are you a terrible parent? Mm. Is it a fair how much wage? am I paying this four-year-old? It's a double scoop of chocolate ice cream at the end of the day and at the beginning of the day. Do you have to be around while they're doing the annoying? Yeah. Mm. So then I am a good parent. Yeah. I'm you, taking the hit. I'm being a bad parent to myself. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah, are wearing still... noise-canceling headphones. Okay. Oh, oh, okay. That is, okay, interesting. I think it's a good, I, I think it's a good technique. I think that the only way you learn in this life is to be annoyed by people. <laughs> that is a quote for the ages. The only way you learn in this life is to be annoyed by people. Put it on a pillow. Unfortunately, during the course of this day, the four-year-old pushes the eight-year-old and the eight-year-old breaks their arm. <gasps> then they get a triple scoop of ice cream, baby. I'm a terrible parent. I think then the, the eight-year-old really learned their lesson. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> Right. You're an even better parent. Yeah, you're a great parent then. <laughs> Wasn't even your fault. And I babysat for free, baby. Are you kidding me? Not even for free. I babysat to pay money to get ice cream. I'm in the red here. <laughs> yeah. And plus, you probably have to pay for the hospital bill. So that's exactly. kind of like when you're going to get coffee for someone and you get a parking ticket. Exactly. I love these answers. And I also think none of us should have children. Mm. Correct. <laughs> My default answer was going to be no. I'm not a good parent. Whatever the question is, is no. <laughs> happens a lot on this show. <laughs> Thank you both so much for joining us. Where can people find out more about what you're up to and your podcast? It's called Toxic, the Britney Spears story. So look it up. There's going to be 10 episodes. The first two are out right now. And uh, we have another podcast called Lady to Lady. That's like a fun comedy one. Gabby did it a long time ago. Mm -hmm. And yeah, my personal Twitter is at Testify Barker. And I'm Babs Gray. And check out Toxic Pod for all your information about Britney and maybe what you can do to help and the free Britney movement. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Stick around after the break. We'll be talking all about active listening. Welcome back to Just Between Us. It's time for Topics. X, 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 baby. Baby. Today, we're going to be talking about active listening, which is a subject that Allison brought up. I feel like as shade to me, but uh, (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, do you want to say what active listening is? It's like really engaged listening. Let me see if I can like find the definition. Some people say it's annoying because it's basically that thing where after you say something, the person goes, "Uh uh-huh. Yep. uh Uh-huh. Yep. And some people love it and some people hate it. (laughs) So it says active listening is a technique of careful listening and observation of nonverbal cues with feedback in the form of accurate paraphrasing that is used in counseling, training and solving disputes or conflicts. So in one of my classes right now, we're learning a lot about this um, and Mm. how I don't I just feel like the longer I'm in this grad program, the more it's just like if you just let people tell you stuff, it really helps. (laughs) Okay, well, I just okay. here's two things I want to talk about. One is I don't like when people say the thing back to me paraphrasing. It makes me feel like you're a robot. I know I, I have a lot of friends who are like very good at like networking and I'll, they'll, I'll be like, you know, oh yeah, I went, I went out to, you know, the cabin in New Jersey and they'll be like, oh, you were at the cabin in New Jersey. I also like to travel. You know what I mean? Like, and, and they do this thing or they'll repeat what you just said. So like, I'll say something and then they'll go like, ha 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 and say the thing that I just said back to me before they respond. I understand that that's made to, meant to make you feel heard, but it's almost to me like doing too much mm. <laughs> where I'm like, I'm fine. You don't need to like prompt me to know that you're listening. And also, can I go out on a limb, a, nuan- a no nuance November? Can I go out on a limb? Okay. It's, it's not November. I, I know, but you know, like when it was like nuance, no nuance November where you just say a thing and then you don't have to explain it, but I will probably explain this. Sure. Is prioritizing active listening in that way that we say prioritizing and not in a way that you and I may newly come up with here, ableist. And I'll tell you why. Because it feels anti-autistic to me. I feel like there's a lot of stuff that is done in this way that like lets the other person know you're listening, but like there must be a better way. Like this whole like repeating back or like saying yeah after everything they say There's got to be a better way to show that you're listening. That isn't so fake. That doesn't come across so phony. Look, I think that active listening is like useful in a therapeutic setting. Um, As like when you're talking to your friend, I don't think it's like necessary to paraphrase and summarize what they're saying. People do. But I think that there are some helpful things from active listening that we can also incorporate into our, our daily exchanges with people. Like, I think I think active listening is extreme and it's like a therapeutic tool. Um, OK, but I also think that like, I don't know, like I, I think for me and this again speaks to how people are just incredibly different. Mm-hmm. Like if I'm talking and I can tell that somebody is engaged and listening and I think there's also a lot to be said about nonverbal cues. So nodding. nodding, you know, makes me feel more comfortable to keep going because we're very different in that like. If I'm not receiving feedback from what I'm saying, I will stop talking. <laughs> See, to me, it's the opposite. If if no one stops me, like my like nobody has to encourage me, but right. they do have to stop me. <laughs> so like I can't relate to like if I were to just talk at you for two minutes and you didn't give me any cues back that what you found was that what I was saying was interesting or that you were engaged in any way, I would be incredibly uncomfortable and I wouldn't feel comfortable continuing to share. Whereas you, I think, would just keep going. <laughs> I just 
shrugged. I just shrugged. <laughs> I I feel like if the person wants me to shut up, they'll just say shut up. But I know that that's not true. It's not. I know. I know it's not true. So, but this again speaks to that everybody is so so different, and so I even like it's it's funny like you know getting to know John and getting to know his style. Like a lot of times he'll be on the phone and and like he'll he'll be talking, talking, uh, telling me a story. And in my head, I'm like, oh, I should give some sort of like encouragement to this story. But there's like no breaks for me to do that. (laughs) (laughs) And so I've had to learn that like the way that he likes to share is to just share it, is to like get it all out at once and to to talk himself through the whole thing. And then when he's done then I can maybe say my thoughts on it or provide some feedback or ask some more questions. Mm -hmm. But like when I was trying to add in my like, oh, wows or my, oh, and like it it was like awkward and I felt like I was interrupting him. Interesting. Yeah. Mal and I have that. Mal has to, Mal will guess what I'm about to say. Mm. So I'll be like, oh my God, you're never going to believe what this person said. And then Mal will be like, was it this? And I'll be like, no. And they'll be like, was it this? And I'll be like, no. And they'll be like, was it this? And I'll be like, you know what would solve this problem is if you just let me tell you. <laughs> but maybe you shouldn't open with this. With, you'll I, I never guess open. with this challenge for them to guess. I go, I have to be like, save your questions to the end. I think, I think they also are a very good listener and they've taught me a lot about it. And I really have had to learn. Mm-hmm. Like I really have had to learn and I write stuff down. They'll tell me something and I'll write it down. Oh, or wow. like I make notes in my phone. We went on a surfing lesson uh, yesterday for their birthday. And the guy was from Portugal, the, the surf instructor. And he, he took us each out one at a time, right? So you're out there talking to the guy by yourselves. So this is this man got a really good impression of like me and Mal as communicators and and as a couple. So Mal comes back and I go, what were you talking about? And Mal's like, I asked him about his life in Portugal and like if he ever feels homesick and like, you know, what what he does all with his days in Portugal. And I was like, that's really beautiful. And Mal's like, what did you ask him? And I was like, I asked him to explain every aspect of the board and then why other people have different boards and what those boards would do and be like and why people use different materials and what you call each part of the board. And Mal was like, that seems right. (laughs) That seems exactly correct. Both are good conversations. That guy has an expertise in surfing. But also I was like, I love, like, it's just this where Mal like really wants to know about people. Mm Mm-hmm. And I mean, look, like these are skills like I think these are things to, like really keep in mind when somebody is sharing something emotional and vulnerable with you. Yeah. Like when you're having just like a more casual conversation, like I think it's important to listen all the time. But like I, I think there is something really transformative and healing about feeling heard by somebody. I agree with you. And like they don't even need to offer advice or offer guidance but just to feel like oh somebody saw me somebody heard me somebody now understands the the fullness of what I'm going through in this moment like I think that that is like a gift that we can like pretty easily give to each other in our interpersonal relationships and remembering things about people that's why I write stuff down because if I go hey you love you like skateboarding right people are often like oh like they you know it's very simple to make people feel um, important. Yeah. And, and to like, you know, a lot of times someone might be sharing something they've never shared with somebody before or that they are afraid to share. And so apparently not for Gabby, but for other people getting that extra encouragement. No, I do. If I'm sharing something 
vulnerable, I get upset if people just brush past it for sure. But that's human. Yeah. But this is like, these are what you're doing in these vulnerable moments of like, I think that like, you know, again, like I think the paraphrasing, the summarizing, that's more like professional relationships, like mental health professional relationships. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But just like letting somebody know that like you want to hear this. Yes. I think can be really powerful. And don't cut them off. And and if someone starts to say something in a group and then so they get cut off, if you're the person who goes, you were about to say something, right? You're a fucking hero. <laughs> and also, you know, not paraphrasing, but making sure that you understand what they're actually saying. Like asking mm-hmm. clarifying questions, I, I think never hurts of like... And don't assume. Yeah, don't assume and be like, oh, so that, you know, cliche of a line, like how'd that make you feel? Like, mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of times that's like, a lot of times I'll ask a friend, like, how did, how do you feel about that? Yes. You know, I learned that from you because <laughs> we're so different. You, you're so different that like you might hear this, like what you might consider to be a story that makes you so angry. And right. so you might assume that this person that's telling you the story is angry when in reality they might be like, it makes me really sad. Yes. So you don't yes. you don't know their reaction to something unless you ask for it. Yes. Let me tell you. You're able to learn these things. I'm a prime example. I'm here with a with a, a rave review that you are able to learn this. <laughs> <laughs> Melissa, you want to come on in and let us listen to you? What? <laughs> tell us. Tell us. How do you feel, Melissa? Huh? <laughs> yes, that's a very Pardon? dad joke, Melissa, but I'm here for it. Thank you. Wow. <laughs> wow. 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 That is a very dad joke. I, I, How do you feel, Melissa? How are you feeling? Right now, I'm feeling pretty good. I'm hot. <laughs> oh, that's great. I'm good. How did you feel about our episode? Do you have thoughts on conservatorships? Huh. I mean, we don't have the time for me to get into <laughs> that. But I will say this. I didn't understand a while ago what all that entailed. And I had a lot of different thoughts than I have had than I do now. And so Mm -hmm. um, just getting educated on what a conservatorship is has really been eye opening. Totally. I agree. I I I didn't even know that word a year ago, two years ago. So I hope that this is helpful to people and that these people still continue to work on conservatorships um, if Brittany is freed. What are your thoughts on on people providing feedback while you're telling the story, Melissa? Uh, I'm fine with it. I like to keep things short when I'm telling a story. So I don't even think they get to get giving me the feedback anyway. <laughs> I agree. I like to I, I like to do that, too. And uh, I agree with you, Melissa. I'm a big head nodder, nodder, though. I do that while I'm listening to and people. And you giggle. You giggle to yourself. I do. I love a head nod. We see it. I can't get enough head nods. I feel okay. good when we're recording the show and we can non-verbally see Melissa gig- like giggling to herself or nodding her head. So I thought about that when I realized I had turned my camera off and I forgot that you guys like that. So. Yeah, we, we need love it. it. So I apologize <laughs> that I had, you know, cut my camera off so you couldn't see my non-verbal communication. It helps us a lot. Gabby, this is the exact opposite of what you said earlier. What did I do? That you hate encouragements when you're talking. Guess what? Oh. I'm always the exception to the rule. (laughs) Wow. Well, I rate this episode uh, 13 out of 12 free Britneys. Ooh. I will rate it 15 out of 14 vulnerable conversations with your partner. Whoa. That's so many. Mm -hmm. I would rate this 30 out of 28 
I don't knows because I don't know. Just go with it. And we're all learning. We're here. all learning. Yeah. Oh, wow. Thank you to Tess and Barbara for being our guests this week. Just Between Us is a Forever Dog production hosted by me, Allison Raskin. And me, Gabby Dunn. Produced by Melissa D. Monts. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. Brendan Burns composed our killer theme music. To listen to this podcast ad-free, sign up for Forever Dog Plus at foreverdogpodcast.com slash plus. Check out video clips of our podcast on YouTube at youtube.com slash foreverdogteam or youtube.com slash show. Make sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Forever Dog Team to keep up with the latest Forever Dog news. Also at Allison Raskin, at Emotional Support Lady for Allison, at BWM Pod, and at Gabby Road for me, and at She Is Not Melissa for Melissa. Bye! Bye! Bye. Forever! Yeah.